Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything because that will make me cry. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another Synergy Session from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and here at the RPG Academy, we game by the motto, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as your table's having fun, you're playing the game correctly. So a Synergy Session, if you're not aware, is where we take a pack of Magic the Gathering cards, which today is Shadows Over Innistrad. We open up the pack, we walk through them one at a time, and we try to come up with an adventure outline, maybe even a campaign outline, based on those cards. My guest today is Eric from Openly Gamer Theater, though you may know him better from his previous show that just recently ended, which is a terrible loss to the gaming community, uh, Gamer Stable. But Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Pleasure. Uh, anyone doesn't know that Eric and your Openly Gamer Theater is part of the RPG Academy Network. Woohoo. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar with Openly Gamer Theater, what's the elevator pitch for what your show does? Uh, we package uh, productions, uh, role-playing game, uh, actual plays. Uh, we also do uh, audio dramas that are based off of games that have been played or um, game settings, things like that. Okay, and if someone has not heard of you before and they want to check out, what, what's the one episode or one series that you think does the best job of showing what you guys do? Well, the best and latest one that we've done is our um, Dragon Variation, which is a Shadowrun um, role-play drama, which... Uh, is mostly audio drama mixed with some actual gameplay. Okay, very, very cool. So anyone out there who has who loves Shadowrun or loves just well-produced audio dramas, that's a place for you to check out. All right, so let's get into today's Synergy session. I will open up this pack of cards and probably cut out all this because the audio is awful. So now, Eric, do you play Magic together? Are you familiar with it at all? I, I'm. Yeah, well, I used to play it a long time ago. Um, as a matter of fact, my daughter just uh, started picking it up just recently. So it's probably in my very near future. <laughs> okay. This is sort of same for me. I, I played uh, right when um, Revised came out. So like in the 90s, uh, I missed Alpha and Beta. And then I got in Revised. I played for several years in college. And then I got completely out of it, sold all my cards, just was, was just done with it. And then Evan, who's part of the reason why the podcast exists, he also got me back into playing Magic. Um, I don't play a whole lot. Mostly, I, I will occasionally go to like a Friday night uh, draft tournament because I think those are fun. And then I have a bunch of decks that I've made that are all proxied and like I have all the best cards and they're just photocopies. And I just play, my, you know, back and forth with the same people with it. Mm -hmm. um, okay, 
So the first card in our pack is called Expose Evil. All right, so Expose Evil, it's a, a white card or a planes card. It's an instant. Uh, the, uh, the mechanics are you can tap up to two target creatures. Uh, there's also Investigate, which again must be a mechanic in this set. Uh, put a colorless clue artifact token onto the battlefield with uh, two sacrifices artifact draw a card. And the flavor text is only the pure stand tall in the light. So the artwork um, looks like it's in, maybe inside some sort of cavern that's really open. so Or maybe on top of some sort of rocky outcropping. There's a figure that sort of looks like it's undead and it's in a weird, almost like a Michael Jackson video pose. Uh, and there's this sort of white light that are, is either coming down from the sky onto it or it almost looks like the white light is sort of coming up off of it, almost like vapor. All right, so for me, looking at Expose Evil, uh, again, this is our first card. We don't have a lot of context to it. Um, there's probably some sort of conspiracy. Uh, I think it may be doppelgangers or demons are infecting normal people. And there's this hidden danger that no one knows about yet, but will become a part of the, the adventure that we create the PCs stumble upon. Uh, are you seeing anything else in that card you want to bring out? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the light from above uh, could be some sort of like the, uh, the person who's, who's doing this obviously has some sort of uh, almost like a uh, positive energy to them. Um, maybe this is some sort of a, uh, if we're talking about a, higher level uh, campaign or adventure this could either be the the person who like sets the everything in motion maybe they expose this uh, this this evil plot and now the the player characters have to react to whatever happened in this event okay and looking at the art it, it almost almost also looks almost like puppet strings like that well especially the the figure that's in the foreground uh, it almost looks like a marionette or a puppet with those strings, so I don't really have anything to add now, but that might, you know, sort of a puppet master motif might come out as well. All right, we'll go ahead and move on. We'll see if we can get some context for what that actually might mean. All right, so our next card is Furative Homunculus. That is a weird-looking creature. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, so Furative uh, Homunculus is a creature. looks like a blue creature. Uh, has the ability sculpt this creature can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. Uh, and the flavor text is in terms of intelligence, homunculi are somewhere between humans and scabs. Clever enough to follow more complex orders, but dim enough not to question them. Hmm, I like that. <laughs> um, so uh, to me, the figure looks like uh, like they're walking through some sort of ruins or maybe even an old graveyard and i'm not it looks like they're carrying some sort it has to be some sort of a graveyard because he looks almost like a grave digger to me he's wearing a uh, cream colored uh, uh cloak hooded cloak with uh looks like a bag and some uh body parts on the inside uh <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah, like he's either, it looks like he's coming out of the graveyard, uh, much like uh, maybe an Igor or something like that, uh, who's doing some darker uh, person's bidding, maybe. Doesn't look like, uh, if he's the furtive homunculus, then he's, he's uh, an agent of some bigger power. 
right? So now how do you think this card can fit into what we've already established or we can just build from it? Uh, well, uh, building from the exposing the, uh, the, the, the evil, maybe there is some sort of uh, uh, puppet master, like you were saying before, uh, building these these people out of uh, old old parts of other other people. Sure. So we got basically like a almost like a Frankenstein's monster situation because uh, that first card they looked very much like zombies. They looked like undead. So right. you know we could be building, and, and that's one thing about playing with. Or I figured out with these like themed decks. So I'm sure Shadows Over Innistrad has a lot to do with like undead type of stuff. So it's going to probably come up again. But one of the things that looks to me just the eye, because there's there's like a, almost like a magnifying glass with one giant eye on this creature. It almost looks mournful to me, uh, or innocent, I guess. Like, I, and again, the flavor text—they're basically these are dim-witted creatures. They just do what they're told. They don't have any understanding of that they may be doing evil acts. I'd like to think that this might be a creature that the 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 PCs, I'm sorry, could at some point in time befriend um and it becomes helpful because it you know because it's just sort of a dim-witted uh servant it may give up information that a smarter agent would know to know to conceal but because it doesn't know this doing anything wrong if it's questioned it will just say oh yeah i've been digging up graves for the last four years you know master has been building uh these uh creatures in his lab and sending them and you know just just very open about what's going on because it doesn't know better uh which could potentially lead to the master destroying it or attempting to and then you you know it could almost become an ally after that betrayal by its former master right. or or maybe uh some sort of uh tragic uh motivator for the player characters because oh yeah you know so that way they they befriend it and they're they're using it as, to get information the master finds out and either uh through it gets to the player characters or as an example or some sort of uh consequence of of it helping it uh it pays the price okay i do also like think uh similar to like almost like a hodor situation where it's a it's a creature or a being that is already known to the players outside of this conspiracy so maybe it's a, a servant of a rich noble who then turns out to be the, the master or if it's like a kingdom situation it could be a, a, a serf or a jester something that they would interact with before they even know about the conspiracy and then they then they learn about it because i think that's going to help them make a connection with that they may even like that npc before they even know what's going on and then they learn that this person is being used uh to do these evil deeds because it's it's dim-witted and doesn't know that they're evil so i don't know i, I kind of like the idea of them being known to the pcs before stuff starts happening sure yeah i also um i like to use voices whenever i i do things so i, I can see this kind of a kind of a dim-witted kind of feel to him you know <laughs> so that way you, you, you almost evoke that kind of uh um innocence mm -hmm. in him so that way you can really pull the rug out from under him later yes or and again there's always the possibility that the dim-witted uh servant is the master in disguise and the ultimate <laughs> betrayal revealed right, uh, right but we may be getting ahead of ourselves there <laughs> awesome all right so our next card here is called devil thorn fox so this is a planes card. It's a creature. It's basically a fox. Um, there's no mechanics. It's a 3-1 creature, which means it has a pretty strong attack power, uh, weak defense. The flavor text is on expeditions through Ashmouth. 
The hunters of Devilthorn Lodge rely on the cleverness of foxes to counteract the mischief of devils. So it kind of looks like it's like a dire wolf. Like it's definitely in the, the image is definitely in the foreground, but it appears to be a very large creature. Uh, the, in the far background, there's a, a figure that I can't tell if it's on horseback or if it just, the way its cloak looks, it almost looks like it's on a horse or it may even be like a centaur. I can't tell. But it makes the, the, the fox look really large to me. And it sounds like from the flavor text that these are allies to these hunters. It's not a, a beast you kill. It's a beast that you would uh, work with against this, these devils. You know, whenever you have just a creature, one of my first instincts is this could just be a combat. Just because, you know, when you play role-playing games, often combat is something that people like to do. So whenever you need, you know, kick down a door and orcs bust in type of a thing is that they're out investigating and they have an encounter. It could This could even be maybe like the first thing that happens. So they're out, you know, unaware of what the plot is. They're just out ranging through the forest, through the plains, and there's a combat. And then there's something about this wolf. You say, well, there's something about this fox that uh, they have to fight it because normally they're allies, but maybe this one has turned against them. They fight it. And then there's something about it. It's It's been corrupted in some way. Its flesh has been corrupted, like with necrotic energy. Maybe it's eaten something that uh, was rotten or foul or necrotic and then it's sort of twisted almost like um like cujo like what's i can't think of what's that actual disease that animals get and they go crazy oh, rabies rabies okay so mm-hmm. almost like it's like a vampiric or necrotic rabies it's eaten something uh that has turned it feral so they have to kill it or, or, or capture it they could then track it back to what they found and that could almost be like the inciting incident is like it's body parts like why are these body parts that have been rotted for for a few weeks laying out exposed in the plains again the forest wherever um so that could be how they the players event, initially get into the adventure with a quick combat and then it leads to the discoveries what are you thinking yeah i like that i i think that uh building off of what we've talked about before this looking at the card it looks kind of almost like a almost like a step or a some sort of a wasteland or something like that um could be that Whatever is causing this disease uh, is encroaching on maybe whatever settlement that the player characters are living in. Uh, maybe these creatures are ingesting this 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 taint or this uh, this corruption from whatever source is causing it. And if you know, building from before, if you have uh, somebody inside the town that's causing some sort of of strange malady going on outside, or maybe coming from the town you could have a a, these these creatures that are getting changed uh to become more feral and more more uh, desperate uh another thing that occurred to me is so far we've got kind of this uh this maybe this dark undertone of uh uh some mastermind who's doing some sort of uh experimentation with bodies and things like that and um if there it maybe some failed experiments he dumped in the Mm. wilderness and you know these creatures got to them and so you maybe the player characters the the incident is fighting this this one of these creatures they trail it back and then they find all of these strange like um almost like uh misfit toys kind of things you know it's they go in and there's all these these homunculi or these 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 monsters that have been created maybe they've even formed their own little like pseudo society in there and you know they they're huddled together for protection. Okay, yeah, I really I like that a lot. It I don't think that would work for like the inciting incident, 
because there's probably there's too much chance of more information being given but but if you wanted to move that to like midpoint then that probably could be a good revelatory scene where these creatures are able to start putting clues together that the PCs have already gathered. Maybe, you know, maybe even the point to, uh, yes, that guy there or that girl there, they're the ones that built us and we escaped uh, and we were too insignificant to chase after. So now the PCs actually know who the main bad guy or who they think the main bad guy is. Um, So I think either one could work. It just depends on how you want to play the scene. Because for me personally, I think having the Misfit Toy Things is is an awesome idea. But I don't think that fits early in the game. I think that fits better later in the game. Right. All right. So our next card is the Loam Dryad. Okay. So this is a green green card. It's a creature. Um, kind of. It's called the Dryad Horror. Um, it, the action uh, tap an untapped creature you control. Add one mana of any color to your mana pool, and the flavor text is. I've never known dryads to suffer visitors in their woods. Beware the Olvenwald. Olvenwald. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Be- beware the Olvenwald when she welcomes you. And the picture is very much a, like a primordial forest uh, with knotted roots and uh, very like dense canopy because there's very little light uh, trickling through. And there's this hunched creature with glowing green eyes. Uh, she looks like she's clutching something, almost like a baby, perhaps. And uh, she looks like she has these uh, roots and uh, vines growing out of her back. Um, very, it, it, it evokes a, a, a real feel of like sinister menace because she, it, it really does look like she's clutching something either per, in protective manner or like she's caught with her hand in the cookie jar kind of feel, you know? Yeah, that sort of over-the-shoulder look at the camera or the audience does make it, for me, I think of it as a her. I don't know why. Uh, it as, you know, like it's it's been caught doing something it shouldn't be caught doing. Yeah. Um, just looking at the picture itself, uh, just the contour of like the, the hindquarters, legs, and arms, very feminine look. So, yeah, I, I totally get that female feel. Plus, it also... Uh, kind of harkens back to a lot of your old folklore of, um, you know, baby stealing witches, things like that, yeah. um, and taking them into the woods, very Baba Yaga. Um, well, so, and even the mechanics, you you tap a creature to add mana, which in the game means you take it's like a resource. I'm I'm taking this energy from this and giving it to myself. So yeah, so stealing babies and stealing energy and vitality fits very well with that mechanic so fitting this into what we've already discussed this um we we keep uh, coming up with inciting incidents and uh, <laughs> this, this very much could be um either an, an inciting incident or a key incident uh key uh elements uh maybe even a background um you know something that has happened before maybe a, a red herring plot line of maybe there was a this village has dealt with something like this in the past where there was some sort of a creature that you know maybe was stealing people kidnapping people or stealing some energy of some sort okay so again the people who've listened to these now we've done several for the uh, youtube channels i i've said before i love creating imperfect or uh, problems with imperfect solutions so what if 
the lone dryad or this this creature of the forest who comes on a cycle like every 20 years or every 10 years or whatever every whatever um steals babies it, it's this feared and hated thing and so what if our main bad guy or bad girl i guess is doing these evil things but is doing it because they want to stop this from happening so maybe they were like twins and their sibling was taken the last time this happened and they lost their brother or their sister. So even though they're doing vile things and they're creating zombies and these zombies are getting free and they're attacking people or whatever, whatever they end up doing, what if in their mind it's a justifiable plan to try to stop this true evil from the forest that they have a personal connection with? Right. I, well, yeah, that's... Um villain motivations is one of my big things too and i think that's just from being a game master for so many years it's you, you that's you start to think in those terms so yeah i mean because you don't want a two-dimensional villain and if your villain has a reason especially a justifiable reason in their own mind i mean it, it, to the villain that's you know i'm doing this sure you know you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs and yeah some people are going to get hurt but ultimately i need to stop this thing from happening again yeah no, i really like that i think that would be a good way good way to go with that all right so our next card is wicker witch it's an artifact creature scarecrow uh, the flavor text is when there were no more crows to scare it focused its efforts elsewhere and it is a creepy looking little sort of doll um again it's sort of a scarecrow doesn't Either has like super tiny legs or this is just like to the waist as wearing almost like an overshirt. It looks, I mean, it is an artifact, so it looks sort of metallic. It's underneath like a stair, maybe going to like a root cellar. And there's this sort of green mist floating up around it. Uh, terrifying. <laughs> and um, so maybe, maybe this, maybe this card is combined with the last one. And the Wicker Witch is that evil force that, you know, we we got there from the Lone Dryad, but maybe the Wicker Witch, at least maybe that's what it's known by. You know, the Wicker Witch uh, comes every six years, every three years, whatever, every generation, steals children. And maybe there is um, a sort of a, um, God, I can't think today, a tradition that has arisen where families will create these versions of the Wicker Witch as a way to protect to ward off the spirit. Like they think that if they have their own wicker witch in their house or in, in their yard, then the, the true one won't come and take their children. Uh, but again, because things always go bad, maybe that's how the wicker witch sees. And some of these are truly agents of the wicker witch and they can see through their eyes. Occasionally they become animated. I could definitely, like in my mind, I see a scene where the PCs are surrounded by like dozens or hundreds of these uh, wicker witches that are slowly just kind of closing in on the PCs and they're having to fight through them all. Right. Yeah. I think that the term is uh, nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's uh, th th that, that could be a very uh, uh, visceral moment where, you know, especially because uh, there's so many people are afraid of porcelain dolls and things like that because of, because, because they're freaking creepy and, you know, and things like this, this uh, wicker witch. I mean, I, I love the idea that uh, people create their own like uh, versions of these to keep the real one away. Uh, Cause I mean, that's, that's straight out of folklore. Right. And 
you know, you would have these these creepy things in your house and people like, why would you keep something like that? Well, that's exactly why, because the the maybe the legend is if a wicker witch or, you know, the 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 lone witch or whatever you want to call it comes to your house and sees that there's already one there, maybe they're territorial, maybe they don't infringe on each other's territory. Uh, so they come in and go, oh, there's already one here. I have to go elsewhere. Um, and, you know, and but going with the, you know, uh, person who is like animating bodies or things like that. One of the things that I noticed about this, this monster, or this artifact is it has very human like hands and teeth. So why would you make a something like this with actual people parts? Um, maybe that's part of this whole uh, putting people together, uh, pieces of people together. Maybe this this creature is the original creature is like this. Maybe they uh, use it to this 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 uh, doll. They try and make it as lifelike as possible, but uh, you know a warped sense. And also, uh, just looking at the picture itself, uh, it doesn't look like uh, like a baby doll. It looks more like like a like a, a motherly because she's very matronly shaped. Yeah, and um, I, I agree with the the, the legs. Uh, looks like I don't necessarily think that maybe she's had, it's just a torso. I think they uh, almost because at the very bottom there, it almost looks like she has three toes. Yeah, uh, so that could just be you know just a, a part of of how they put this together. But yeah, it's very much like a protective motherly figure that's gone you know, gone the other direction. Right. I started thinking in a very creepy factor, uh, what if as like your baby teeth fall out? Oh, uh, nice. That that's the teeth are put into this thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. Instead of a tooth fairy, you have the, uh, the wicker witch who comes and takes your teeth. Yes. Because hers keeps falling out. Oh, <laughs> creepy. <laughs> and if you're not, if you're not a, if not a good little boy or girl, the wicker witch will come and take them out before they come before, out. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, that is terrifying. Awesome. <laughs> that, that that mixes people's fear of animated dolls and dentists. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So our next card is Grotesque Mutation. All right, okay. Eric. Uh Grotesque Mutation. What are you what are you seeing here? Well, Grotesque Mutation is a black card. It's an instant which uh if I I haven't played ma magic in a while, um means that it's something you can do onto some other target. Uh, like in the, the the text says target creature gets plus three slash plus one and gains lifelink until the end of turn damage and then it says in parentheses damage dealt by the creature also causes its controller to gain that much life so very necrotic uh feel to it and the picture is of looks like a white gloved uh person and they have removed one of their gloves to expose in the palm of their hand a like a multi-tooth maw uh, in the palm of their hand. And then some of their fingers are elongated, almost tentacle-like. Uh, and then the skin itself looks almost like it's, uh, it's maybe rotted away or has some sort of ulcerations uh, all throughout the, the hand that's exposing some of the underlying tissue. Well, we've we talked about the, the the foxes and how something that they've eaten or they've been exposed to has has changed them at, at a very uh, fundamental level to become these like monstrosities or at least these more uh, aggressive uh, monsters. This could be 
what is happening to some of the townsfolk, uh, or maybe even the boss themselves, that as they're getting more and more exposed to this, this energy, they are starting to take on more of an otherworldly form. In D&D terms, it really reminds me of like something from the far realms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something that's, you know, that, some, you know, or, you know, to, to use H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, something that should not be, right? It, it's, it's something that this person has done to themselves or had done to them that has started to open the door to this more cosmic or, or you know, uh, chaotic uh, energy and look to it. It's very gr- grotesque is, is the appropriate term for this because it is very grotesque. Yes. Um, I also like the idea that just just because of the white gloves, I, I get the sense that they may. So the person that's affected may be trying to hide the affliction. I know you're a classic zombie movie. You're bit, and you don't tell anybody, and then turn into a zombie, and then mess people up. So this could be maybe even part of like high society, like the nobles or the rich, wealthy people um, start to become secluded. Maybe they're getting their food; it's contaminated. Uh, you know, the, again, the ones that are most wealthy are probably having the best food. Maybe, I don't know, maybe imported food. Um, I don't know. I just, I like the idea of someone having this issue or multiple people and trying to hide it. And, you know, again, making things worse when it's finally revealed. Right. The best way to control uh, a group of people is to control those who own everything. Right. So sure. You know, if, if this is, if the Lord or if, uh, yeah, the uh you know the ruling class or something ha- is being slowly poisoned by whatever this is and uh whoever's whoever's behind this is controlling them through that um uh, there's also a very i like the 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 thought you had about them wearing the gloves to hide it because there's a very very much a uh uh who wears white gloves i mean come on Right. You, know, it, you you wear white gloves the first time you wear them and, and do anything with them, they're ruined. So this person has a very high sense of themselves, maybe, uh, maybe even vain, uh, because, you know, I'm going to wear my white gloves once and then I'm probably going to throw them away because they're not pretty anymore. So this could be somebody who is considered very beautiful or, or, you know, debonair or something like that. And this monstrosity, this mutation would be so uh, jarring to see, you know, you have this beautiful face, this beautiful body, and then you have this horrible affliction or this horrible mutation that you want to so desperately to hide, you know, to, to the point where you may even do bad things to keep people quiet who find out. So, so what if uh, whoever our main bad guy is, who we've not really fully addressed yet, has poisoned the upper middle upper class of this wherever we're at and is then treating them to get their money like basically that is how they're financing their operation is they have given them these minor afflictions and are again quote unquote curing the disease they created uh, or trying to so that they keep going back to this person saying oh it's coming back here's another x you know it's coming back here's another y so that they have the money they need to do the thing that they're doing which that takes our main bad guy out of the ruling class, most likely, um, because if they the ruling class, they would already have the funds. So that would probably make them uh, either like a traveler, almost like a snake oil salesman who comes into town, 
or maybe someone who's been around from like a very old family, but they lost their fortune. So you have the typical big house, but it's in ill ill repair because they haven't had funds or servants for a very long time. Right. Some sort of, uh, and you know, and like, like you're saying, you know, they're trying to treat this, uh, this affliction that they've brought about uh, could be some sort of uh, uh, like a physician or, um, you know, maybe even a, if, if we're talking about in a fantasy terms, um, maybe uh, a fallen cleric of, mm. you know, of maybe of a, of a healing God that maybe has lost their power and they're, you know, they're, do, they're doing things, trying to make it look like that. They're still, you know, they're still viable. Right. So again, maybe that, maybe they're the clergy, this, this, in the town, there's a temple or a church and they're the priest who supposedly has healing abilities because they're a priest of whatever the, you know, God of life or whatever is. Uh, but they don't have that power anymore, but they make it seem like they do by giving people afflictions that they then can cure. But eventually maybe those, they start to mutate because again, it's a right. mutation and their cure stops working. Right. Or I, 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 when you said snake oil salesman, I kind of, uh, you know, made me think of this too. Uh, this could be a subplot. It could be uh, the perhaps the the priest or you know healing cleric of the town has lost their power for whatever reason. You know the god has left them. Maybe they did something uh, bad that that the god has cut off their power or whatnot. And so then they're desperate to you know to to prove that they're still you know they're still important and they still have this power that they really don't. And so then this mysterious snake oil salesman comes in and says hey i kind of see that you know people are not as healthy as they should be around here uh i can help you you know the old devil on the shoulder i can help you you know you right. do, give the people this get let them do this let them do that you know so the the priest is the the person who's doing a lot of this stuff could be in the background so that way that when the player characters they're starting to zero in on the on the priest going oh, okay wait a minute you know, the, something doesn't isn't right here. This guy is, or this person is doing this to these people. Let's go get them. And they go get them because, you know, that's what player characters do, right? They sure, come in yeah. and they stab them and then they go, why did you do that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that that could be a, another level to throw at it or maybe even a, a, a some sort of a, not necessarily a midpoint, but maybe something where they the player characters go through that level of the of the onion to to the next step towards you know who's really behind all right. of this uh sort of one last thing for me i also like the idea that there is a, there's at least some benefit to what's happening at first uh again very sort of classic where i i ingest this thing and it makes me more vital it makes me feel younger makes me stronger and then it's only later that i start to see that it's actually also harming me so you could have some people who are okay with this, you know, that oh, they, yeah. they would rather have these mutations, but still have that vitality. And then others who are trying to hide it and trying to cure it. But yeah, I do like the idea of a slight misdirection where it seems like there's pretty much an arrow pointed towards the clergy as at least someone who's involved. And it turns out they're just a pawn uh, in a, in a larger scheme, or again, it could even be a completely unrelated scheme that just happens to be happening at the same time in the same place that is almost like a side quest. Right. Uh, so one other thing that I, you just said that, and it, it totally opened a different door for me was, um, and it harkens back to the foxes, right? You, you've got these, these more aggressive monsters that are starting to, to 
uh, threaten the town. So not only do you have these like vainglorious, uh, you know, upper crust, uh, you know, ladies who want to maintain their beauty or maybe feeling the, the, the effects of age wanting to make themselves look better, but maybe you have the the town guard or the captain of the watch or something like that looking at this stuff almost like performance enhancing drugs mm. you know like 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 sports uh like athletes would you know so they're like if i so if i take this it'll make me fight better it'll make me defend be able to defend the town better well yeah you know very much the youth uh thought of like like steroids you know it's not i don't have to worry about that right now yeah. i need to, what i need to worry about right now is defending this town and then, you know, then years later, you know, they die at 30 because of using, you know, horse steroids and stuff like that. Right. And again, we have all these more aggressive, you know, almost dire versions of animals that are starting to attack the town. So now's the time I need this more than any. You know, that's right. Yeah. What's it going to matter uh, 10 years from now if I'm dying from this, whatever blight it is, if I'm dead and being eaten by these creatures now? Okay, so our next card here is Vampire Noble. It is a black card. Um, it's a creature. It's a vampire. And there's no mechanics. This The flavor text of no emergency is so dire that it cannot be dealt with elegantly by Olivia Valderin. And it is a uh, female noble. She's you know richly appointed. She's uh, lounging in like a, a chair. She's got some sort of scepter in her hand. Uh, one of those sort of uh, masks that you would wear to like a masquerade party. Uh, behind her, it looks like there might be some paintings or some other people that are just really far in the background. There's a servant over to the right. Um, looks like maybe drawing blood from a, a sycophant. Uh, just, so it's basically just some sort of like, you know, typical vampire shenanigans. Uh, so, again, first thought, probably this might be the bad guy maybe or a bad girl. You know, again, they're the ones that are behind everything. But part of me almost would rather make this a potential ally. Once again, this could be a misdirection where they just happen to be in the same place, happen to be in the same town. They're not affected. They, they're watching everything from their sort of dis, uh, dispassionate view. And they could be an ally to the players if the players don't go and just kill them once they realize they're a vampire. So I think it might be make it be easier. It probably makes more sense to make them the bad guy. But there's a part of me that's like, could we do something different with it? What do you think? Right. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the, the vampire noble as the bad guy. It's cliche. So why would you, you know, so let, let, start thinking outside the box. Sure. Absolutely. Maybe an ally. Um, something that uh, initially when I'm looking at the picture, sure, she looks very, you know, uh, very stylish, perhaps even uh, demure in her, you know, and she's almost like this uh, uh, flippant uh, attitude. You mm -hmm. know, she she's smiling at the at, at the the camera, so to speak. You know, holding her little um, masquerade ball, uh, little mask on a stick, and everything. But in her right hand, there's an axe. Ah, yeah. Um, it, it, at first I thought it was a scepter too. And then I looked really closely and I'm like, no, that's an ax. <laughs> um, so, you know, so she's sitting there, she looks very cute and, you know, I'm sweet and holding an ax in her right hand. Um, very, that's a, that's almost like a, a, a menacing, almost deceptively menacing pose that she's in. Like I could kill you at any time that I want to. Um, but what really struck me is what you're talking about before is in the background. And you see this person, this shadowy person, who is quite obviously 
drawing blood from someone because you can see their arm is extended. It looks like they have a tourniquet or some sort of wrap around their arm because yeah. you, it, it, it definitely uh, separates because uh, there, there's a flesh tone to it. And then it's white, so it start, it stands out as, as a flesh, you know, from the flesh tone. So it looks like they've cinched off that arm, and they are doing something to that arm, drawing blood or administering something, um, you know, playing off of what we were talking about before. Uh, maybe vampire noble is kind of a misnomer. Maybe this is more of a parasitic noble, uh, somebody who, you know, what we were talking about before, who uh, is a power player in the town, but is a slave to this other stuff, this other uh, element that we're, we're injecting into this, into this story of, you know, this rot or this uh, some sort of, of uh, performance enhancing or beautifying uh, element. And then maybe this shadowy person in the background is the real story. Okay. Could that be the actual bad guy who is a servant to this vampire noble who is oblivious uh, or it could even be the supplier. Again, going back to the person who's messing with the clergy, uh, this person is able to supply the vampire lord with what they need, whether it's truly a vampire like blood or it's just a, an agent as a substance. It's a, some sort of you know medicine that allows them to have their beauty and their power. Yeah, I mean, it certainly could be. It, it, it reminds me so much of you know the story of Rasputin, right? Uh, uh, this, this mystic person that's in the background, always in the background, and has such an influence over the ruling class and, and you know, is making a, a personal fortune off of them, off of their malady, uh, things like that. Because, you know, if you, if you, you know anything about that story, it was, uh, they, they were desperate, desperate, desperate to find uh, some sort of treatment for uh, hemophilia. And, you know, so maybe drawing from a little bit of history, maybe this guy is some sort of a, a self-proclaimed mystic healer of some sort and uh you know and they brought maybe they even brought him here to this to this town you know thinking that this person could help them uh but they want to keep that to themselves they don't want everybody to know about it so and then this person goes to the clergy says hey i noticed that you don't quite have as much power here as you used to maybe i can help you too because i've been helping the the noble family for you know a few years and yeah. so so what if Again, um, I like the idea of this person being the, the shadowy figure who's behind everything. And it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason because it works and it's going to be fun. Right. They are withdrawing blood from the the vampire and some of the, maybe the vampire's thralls. Maybe that's that substance that is is causing other creatures to, you know, become evil versions of themselves. So it, it, maybe even going back to the clergy. Maybe the, the clergy doesn't know what's going on. So I have my hemoculus. I give it a vial of blood. It goes into the church and it contaminates the wafers or the wine or the water, whatever. Everyone goes to services because it's tradition. And everyone leaves feeling great. And the cleric thinks they've done a great job. Like everyone keeps talking about how they're so invigorated by the services and that you must truly be touched by the power of the gods. And they start to feel like, wow, I'm really connected. I'm doing this great job. And then slowly over time, it starts to mutate and, and, and corrupt people in the town. The vampire noble, whether she knows about it or not, it doesn't really affect her. She doesn't care. She's above it. And 
you know, that arrogance is what blinds her from the fact that it's this person that she's let into her home is, is actually every, behind everything. So that, that puts her as a potential ally if the PCs can expose this person and, and get her upset. Or an enemy if they are too aggressive up front and she's like, I, I don't care, you're annoying me. And now we have a battle out of it. So it could go either way. And I really like those, again, those imperfect solutions to problems. Right. I, I, I like that that thought process. I, li- I also like the idea that uh, maybe this person who's doing this is a thrall or a servant of this vampire noble. Uh, but we always get this sense that just because they're uh, a thrall or they're under the thumb of, of this more powerful creature, doesn't mean that they're morons and doesn't also mean that they have their own agendas. So yeah, this could be all the, the, the vampire noble could be this potential ally that's, that's up there that of course player characters are going to see, Oh, vampire. Well, there it is. You know, that's all there is to it. And you know, maybe it's, that's not it. Maybe the, the, the vampires is um, an unwilling ally to this person's plot. Yeah, like you said, drawing blood off of them, maybe mixing blood of a vampire with something else. And, you know, so that way it's if you kill the vampire, yeah, sure. Maybe you've you you might get rid of the supply or part of the supply chain, uh, but you you're not really getting at the root of the problem. So, yeah, it could be a it could be a uh, a stepping stone towards getting rid. If you want to set it up like that, like there's a multiple mix of different creatures that this person's drawing from then yes, upset it. You can do a whole thing where you're upsetting the supply chain as a series of events. Right. I also like the idea is I've, I've played enough D&D games to know that everybody or every party has one person that wants to be a vampire. Yeah. And, and so you could have that situation of uh, give the player an opportunity to become a vampire or maybe even if, if they bring the, the noble onto their side, she can say, you know what, I can give you power. If you, know, if you let me bite you, you would be more powerful so that when you go fight this thing that's clearly, you know, more powerful than you are, you'll have a shot. And it's like a dark bargain. Like, do you take the power of the vampire to tackle this other thing, but then now you're a vampire? So I don't know. I, just, I like the idea of that almost like it's not really political, but just so sort of the the role play area, the, the internal politics of what's worse, what's better, right. what, what are our possibilities? So, so I could use oh. I, I see that card in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it certainly could be political, especially internally political within the group itself, because especially uh, and this happens a lot. And I, I usually stir this pot all the time. You have uh, you have, like you said, one player character or one player who really wants to play dark. And but then you've got another one or another you know group of people who don't they want to they want to be the good guy. They want to be altruistic. They don't want to do the, the same old, same old stuff. And giving the the player who wants to go dark, giving him that opportunity builds this tension within the group. And then it's like, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't rip the group apart, then yeah, it could be, you, you could have these, these undertones and these, these subplots. And now it's like, okay, wait a minute. Now, you know, Bill is uh, playing a vampire, you know, thrall of this, this, you know, lady that we don't trust. And now it, is he a spy for her now? Are they, are they just going to, you know, turn, is he going to turn on us? That kind of stuff. Right. Awesome. Very, very cool. Okay. Moving on. All right. So Halpack Wolf, it looks like a red card. It's, um, 
It says, Halpak Wolf can't block unless you control another wolf or werewolf. Uh, it is a creature, wolf, and then the flavor text, wolves and werewolves join together for the common cause of the hunt. The picture itself, uh, it has a uh, very feral-looking wolf uh, prominently displayed in uh, what is uh, very obviously a charge of multiple like lupine creatures because in the background you see uh, almost like a uh, like a hominid looking uh, werewolf very obviously werewolf and then just like the leg of a much larger perhaps werewolf closer to the the displayed you know creature so it looks like yeah it's like a charge of wolves and werewolves uh, which I mean makes sense how pack wolf right yeah yeah so uh, to me, this is uh, what we. This ties into what we talked about before with the with the foxes. So maybe there's there's you know the 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 local uh, fauna are being mutated and 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 changed by this uh, this process that's going on from eating rejected materials from this this experiment or this disease disease materials that they've. They've put out of town because they don't want to, you know, that want to be tainted by it, uh, or you know, uh, maybe uncovered a cache of of whatever this is, and then, um, the the picture itself kind of evokes this uh, this trepidation or, or fear of being in front of this. You seeing this coming over the hill, you know, the, like a like a charge of cavalry, but they're wolves and werewolves, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this could this could definitely be the precursor to, or this could be some sort of a major battle uh, of of these monsters that are make a final final push towards town. Yeah, the, I mean, we've already got vampires, so we brought in. So I kind of am hesitant to bring in werewolves too. I mean, I think it fits. It kind of makes sense in a way, but I almost think think it may be too many ingredients in the pot. So I'm with you. I think we rather than take this at text and say it's a werewolf, we just take the subtext and say there's a large attack of these already feral animals that we've established earlier that are corrupted. So again, this could be a great like three fourths of the way through the game where they're finally starting to put everything together and they kind of know who they're supposed to go after. And then there's this large attack from all these different animals that could either be because of the bad guy or just an unrelated. Now you've got a whole forest full of creatures and it's just a big combat. It just allows the, the characters to have that moment where they get to kick ass and fight off these creatures. Uh, you know, there's very classic protect the town scenarios. Like do you let them, work with the guard and create traps and create barriers. If, if character players are into that, then you can give them the opportunity to be strategic and, you know, take a map of the town and lay out your defenses, or it could just be all of that's in the background, but your player characters have to fight the, the, the alpha of the wolf or the pack or whatever. And it could just be a very simple combat that breaks up some of the investigatory aspects, or it could be a strategic part of the game. But yeah, I, I don't think I want to bring werewolves into yeah, uh, something else that kind of uh, occurred to me is um, this could also be uh, a, a battle that happens um, based off of you've got this this blight, uh, which is starting in this like part of civilization and whatnot. Uh, this could honestly not even be a, a battle of of tainted monsters or, or, or animals. These could be regular like animals being controlled or uh influenced by a druid who sees this happening and is like 
this is all because civilization is ruining this area and we just need to stomp it out. Ah, okay. Yeah, you, once again, imperfect solutions to problems because you, yeah, you're killing these animals who aren't dire versions. They're not corrupted versions. They're just animals, but they're being led by a, a druid or a dryad or something in the forest that's like, there's way too much corruption here and I'm tired of it. So we're just going to get rid of everybody because I don't care about people. I care about the forest. Right. Cool. All right. This is uh, Geist Blast is a red card. It's an instant. Uh, the text is Geist Blast deals two damage to target creature or player. It has a mechanic of two colorless and one blue. Exile. Uh, gas bla Geist Blast from your graveyard. Copy target instant or surface spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. And the artwork, uh, there's a humanoid figure that's wearing some kind of weird helmet. It almost looks like there's uh, like insect-like uh, antenna coming off of it. And then they are holding what looks, in a weird way, almost like a giant hypodermic needle, but it's filled with blue essence energy or, or white blue, and it's shooting it. So I don't. So this isn't really connecting with me to <laughs> to anything else that we are dealing with. Um, the the blue white light is somewhat reminiscent of the very first card, the the white light that was part of the revealing the conspiracy, revealing the evil. So maybe this is a way to reverse those effects, like they're you know like because if we if we're corrupting everyone in town. Or we have all these wicker witches, which we haven't touched on in a little while, that are coming after. Maybe there is a way to channel positive energy, divine energy, or holy energy that negates, nullifies, or even destroys these, like a like a supercharged uh, cleric power uh, of earning type of thing. But my first instinct is just to not even worry about this card. Yeah, it it, it really doesn't fit the motif. I mean. Looking at my first instinct and in looking at it, uh, it, the the picture itself is very uh, kind of retro sci-fi look because the yeah. it, it's like a it's like a ray gun because it has the 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 weapon itself has a stalk on the end of it, almost like a you know like a Tesla weapon or something like that. You know, it's got this this weird spiraling uh, energy coming out of it. I mean, sure, it, it it does have the very tenderly look to the like the first card. So maybe this could be some sort of like God weapon or something like that. Um, but injecting that, I mean, that then are you really just, uh, you know, giving the player characters a, a, you know, a way to just squash everything at once. Uh, the other thing that occurred to me is possible is maybe this is a, a, an item. Maybe there is some sort of an item that this person is using to, you know, facilitate this mutation or something like that. Uh, giving it more of a, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, oh, Barrier Peaks or one of the really old adventures where the spacecraft landed in in a sci-fi or in a fantasy world, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it necessarily fits in this. Yeah. So, so looking at the art, it actually looks like there's a face, like a ghostly face inside that thing as well. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> hmm. So, it's almost like Ghostbusters. Yeah, in, in a way. But I, but I do like what you touched on. I, I do actually like the idea that whoever, again, is behind everything has some sort of machine that is, you know, like this very old, again, like a Tesla. It's a giant size of a room, a lot of coils and liquids are dripping out of it. And that's what they are using to create their adulterated blood or whatever. So I do like the idea that maybe in the big boss battle, there's a giant machine they have to destroy. Right. Uh, so I could take... Or 
or, I was say, or has some sort of like um, uh, effect that they have to overcome or deal with. You know, they go into this area and then all of a sudden they have this weird effect going on, some sort of uh, environmental uh, challenge or or uh, setback or something that they have to overcome. So that way, maybe it doesn't they're not as strong when they go to fight the major boss or whatnot. Or, or it, it empowers the bad guys. Uh, again, like a fourth edition thing, there's certain places in the room that this energy comes through. Um, so there's like a fourth edition environmental effect where there's certain places in the room where this energy erupts on occasion and you can time it out so that if you're there, you get invigorated or you get blasted. You, you know, there's a way that it almost like a um, flop of, uh, oh God, God, I think they in Princess Bride. Oh, the, uh, uh, the device. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, not that, but like in the the swamp that they go into, the high, the, the fire gouts that come up. They can they can time them out by listening so they can avoid oh, right, it. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. So the same sort of thing. Like after a couple of rounds, there's a way to identify when and where they're going to happen, so they can. It's not just random. Like oh well, you happen to be on the square, but it could be like okay, if you move here and then move here, you can force the bad guy where you want them. So it becomes more of a, a strategic way to that final battle. Right. If you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, pattern recognition. I love it when players <laughs> figure out the patterns. <laughs> okay. Our next card here is Mad Prophet. Mad Prophet is a red card creature, human shaman. Uh, it is a haste effect, which uh, discard a card to draw a card. And the flavor text says, uh, I have seen it, seen the end, seen the beginning, and the beginning of the end, not death, no, no, transcendence. Interesting. Uh, the picture is uh, what looks like uh, some... Uh, raving lunatic with a uh with a a, a bell to uh that you know like handheld uh ringing bell almost like a town crier bell yeah and uh he's he's playing tug of war with uh, someone else who all you see is their hands and it looks like some sort of like knotted uh maybe paper or uh some sort of uh, uh cloth of some sort he's uh he's got uh, a wild mad look in his eyes he looks like he's he's <laughs> At one point, it looks like he's he's either yelling at the person or he's about to hit them with the bell. That's what it looks like to me. Like he's about to yeah. whack the guy with his bell. Yes, yeah, so I guess maybe for you know taking taking whatever it is he has in his hand, some sort of like you know shroud of some sort, maybe some sort of uh, something that he attributes as being very important to his his prophetic visions. And uh, you know, he's wearing his his clothes is very very disheveled, but his setting is very urban. Uh, in the background, there's streets, there's tall buildings with uh, like gas lamps or some sort of lamps uh, mounted on the wall. So this could this could definitely be some sort of a uh, a doomsayer. Uh, that's you know I knew it I knew it was going on, but you nobody listened to me because I'm crazy. <laughs> so one thing I'm missing if if you look at his left ear, that looks like a mouth. Interesting. Um. So maybe this is someone who has gotten corrupted, but they're not part of the noble house. They're not part of the wealthy house. And so they're not able to pay for the cure or pay for the, you know, the antidote. And now they have uh, progressed too far. And to the fact that they are now like insane. Um, Cause yeah, that looks like a mouth to me. I don't know if it's supposed to, but that is absolutely what I see. Yeah. Um, building off of that. Uh, this guy could have been one of the first people to have been infected or whatnot, and 
the, you know, maybe uh, it does kind of look like a mouth. Maybe he was starting to grow a mouth uh, in his ear. And to me, it almost looks like he uh, may have either sliced it or dug it out with his own fingernails. Like he, he ripped his own ear off. So you've got this remnants of a mouth on the side of his uh, side of his head. Um, I could see that be a kind of a, a revealing moment. Maybe instead of, uh, you know, he's holding some sort of piece of paper, maybe that's a robe that he was using to cover up his head, you know, some sort of a, a cowl or some sort. And old boy just grabbed it and pulled it. And he was like, you know, hey, don't, you just exposed my ear. I'm going to beat you with my bell. So, <laughs> Yeah. So. I, again, I kind of feel almost like Voldemort from the first Harry Potter movie. Like the guy's wearing the turban, Professor mm-hmm. Crawley, right. whatever. Yeah. And so he's hiding this this mm-hmm. thing um it also it could just be almost like a metaphor for whispering in their mind mm-hmm. like they're hearing voices in their ear but it's actually a mouth in their ear um it's also a human shaman uh so even potentially this could even be our our clergy from the beginning where we've kind of worked it in now where they 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 don't know what's going on they are just having their services they they don't really feel a connection to the gods anymore but all the people who come seem to be in enraptured and they they leave invigorated, so they started to believe their own press. So maybe they're helping themselves to some uh, sacrificial wine off the clock, um, and it's starting to corrupt them. And then the messages, like the the sermons, are starting to get more and more weird, but people don't care because they were still leave invigorated. And then he starts to realize what's happening when he sees his mutation. I don't know. So I don't know if we want to come because the only thing the only thing I'm worried about is having too many characters. Right. So now we're adding a new character. Yeah, I, I I like I actually I I I love the idea that this card is completely just metaphorical for what we've been talking about, right? So yeah, it, it, there's a monster whispering in his ear, and he gets exposed, and he's been ringing the bell, you know, all this time that you know the gods are, you know, the gods are still here, the gods are still viable, and I'm still important here. Look at me, and. And all the time, and then so then this person, maybe the the hands are to represent the the player characters, unveiling the fact that he has this thing whispering in his ear, you know. So yeah, the whole card could be a metaphor. All right. So our next card here is a wild field scarecrow. It's an artifact creature. It's a scarecrow. It's a defender. Two mana, sacrifice wild field scarecrow. You can search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal them, and put them into your hand, and then shuffle your library. And uh, the art is of a very evil-looking scarecrow. Uh, it's up on an actual stake out in like a field, and like our other scarecrows. Uh, it looks like it's been there for a while. There's actually like a tree branch that has grown through it and out of it. Uh, its arms, one of them looks like it's almost coming off. They're not even really attached anymore, but it's still tied to the stake. And then uh, its eyes are red, and it looks very malevolent. It looks somewhat like if it wasn't attached to that stake, it would be up walking around. The only thing is, again, we've already got a scarecrow. We've already got that going on. I, maybe I think that just reinforces. I don't. I don't know that I want to invent or, or introduce another scarecrow unless we want to maybe look at changing what we were doing with the Wicker Witch earlier. Nah, I'm I'm going more less towards the art, more towards the text. Um, you know, you sacrifice this thing uh, to be able to uh, bring up uh, more, you know, land cards or, you know, something, something that you can use for, to, to, you know, for benefit or whatnot. Maybe this is, um, 
you know, something you, you, you would, it's an, uh, something that the player characters find that they could sacrifice an ally or an ally creature or, or an item or something like that, that maybe was of use before. And you know how, um, you're playing D and D and a plus one sword becomes so, you know, it's like, why do I even keep this thing around anymore? Right. Uh, you know, so maybe it's something that was useful at one time, maybe the, the wicker witch, uh, creature, or maybe even the homunculus that we talked about earlier, you know, it's okay. If we do this, then we're sacrificing something that is maybe important to us, uh, or that we was important to us before. And it's a way to kind of clean the slate a little bit and get uh you know move on to the next step of the story so it's you know um the the homunculus reveals uh a vital piece of information you're sacrificing him because you know he's so honest he never he can't lie and he's like well if i tell you this or if i show you this i'm gonna tell my master that i did it and if i do that he's gonna destroy me right you know Along those same lines, I was thinking too, you know, in my mind, I had that scene where all the wicker witches were slowly walking, kind of creeping towards the PCs, like they're in the middle of a town square. Uh, maybe there's a way to sacrifice there. Uh, you sacrifice to them, and then they have to stop. So it could even be the same thing, so that Homunculus could give themselves up to the wicker witches, allowing the PCs to go free. So you don't have to do that. You could just have the battle, but that could be like a very emotional roleplay scene where that dim-witted uh, agent that's you know he's been helping you kind of off and on says you know again it's it's very hodorish i'm going to sacrifice myself so that you can get away right yeah Spoil- uh, spoilers for hodor sorry yeah because right. you're not not there yet uh, but yeah i i do like that i mean because looking at the picture he does look rather you know menacing but he's a scarecrow he's supposed to you know but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad guy so yeah i i, I love the idea of and, and it's so powerful whenever you're able to pull it off when you can uh, convince the player characters to give up on a trusted or beloved npc knowing that it's it spells their doom and they're never going to get to see them again um yeah, that's that's some powerful stuff that you could definitely use. Awesome. All right, we've only got a couple cards left here. Uh, actually, our next card is our rare card. Uh, it is an Ulvenwald Hydra. Okay. All right, Eric, so what are we looking at here with this uh, Hydra? All right, Ulvenwald Hydra. The, yeah, this is the rare. This is... Uh... Uh, this is a creature, uh, Hydra, green, uh, green card. It uh, has the ability of reach, and the text says, Ulvenwald Hydra's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. When Ulvenwald uh, Hydra enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a land card and put it into your battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Uh, the picture itself looks like a... Um, a a sea battle because it looks like it's in the middle. There's boats, very angular, almost like elven looking boats. Uh, but then it also looks like there might be trees. So maybe there's some sort of a, there's some sort of a, a, a flood or something like that. This could be also a, a very dark, uh, uh, like uh, swamp or, or something, something of that sort. And the creature itself uh, has, looks like it has tentacles or a big long tail, uh, very, uh, uh, like sandworm of dune looking look right. to it. It's very, very large, but then it has multiple stalk heads. And, but instead of like uh, 
uh, regular heads, they have uh, like just ends and maws. These these necks end in these very uh, toothy maws. All right. So what? Uh, so how are you thinking this can fit with what we're doing? Well, if we use it as as seen, it looks like a like a set piece, uh, like major boss fight monster fight you know maybe the 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 creature underneath the that uh the 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 big boss calls to defend himself as the the last ditch effort to you know like the the protector of the bad guy uh eh, it's a little cliche uh but um yeah it's it definitely gives me that feel of something that has been hiding in this swamp for a long time so one of my favorite movies is The Thing, the mm-hmm. um, like not the original one, the Kurt Russell one in like the eighties, and this sort of reminds me of of the final form of that thing near the end when it exposes itself, and I think you know maybe again the, we started with our first card was expose evil, so maybe this is like inside what we think of as the main bad guy. So you have like a two stage boss battle when you finally get there, you kill the human form. You think you've killed it. Everyone's happy. And then from its organs and blood and viscera, this, not obviously not to the same size as this is a massive thing, but it basically reawakens as a sort of tentacled otherworld, almost far realm creature that they have to then fight for the true boss battle. Right. Yeah. But it could also just be something in the forest as well. Yeah. It's uh Hydra are always fun. They're, they're good D and D like boss battle fights. Um, I don't know, like, uh, I, I don't know that I would want to use it as a true, like wilderness creature, but I do like the idea of it being in, in, inside the other thing, but that's not exactly what it is either. So it, it's, it's kind of a hit or miss with that. Yeah. But no, I like that idea. I like the, the, the two stage boss battle. I, I love that because it gives it, it gives you a, like, you know, the next step up and you know, it's like, cause how many times you, you run a battle and it's like, okay, there's the boss critical done. You yeah. Know? So that way it's. You know, and it could be it could be nice setup too. You know, you, the maybe the human form is you know pretty pedestrian, but then boom, you kill it, and then all of a sudden it just starts to explode or just kind of like, um, you know, like uh, pop open with all of these like weird looking spores or boiling tentacles and stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely a way to kind of change up the story in a way and, and, and give like a real visceral reaction to the players when you start describing in gross detail how this thing is emerging from inside it. Yeah. Okay. A uh, couple cards left. We actually looks like we have a couple bonus cards because usually the rare is the last card. So yeah. So our next card here is a, it's a dual card. At least that's what they're called. It's there's images on both sides. It's the gas or Gatstaff. Sorry, Gatstaff arsonists, and it's also the Gatstaff ravengers, which are werewolves. So my first thought is that much like we did the last one is just not even try to worry about it. Um, the image of the arsonists are basically they're sh- they're throwing what appear to be Molotov cocktails. Uh, there's fire all around them. They're in like an urban setting. Looks more like a village, I guess. Um, so the only thing I, I would think of is maybe during one of the battles, you just set some stuff on fire because that's always more fun when you've got the environmental effects. So they're fighting maybe even the wicker witches when they're slowly coming in on them. There's the village is burning down around them. Because again, I just I don't want to bring werewolves into this, so I don't want to use it that way. So what what are you thinking? Because I'm not getting a lot from this. Um, well, if we going back to uh, maybe using a, a druid that's trying to purge this stuff, what, you know, what's the great purifier? 
fire, right? Fire, yeah. uh, so maybe p- part of it is not just bringing animals in, but trying to, uh, you know, cauterize this blight that's growing uh, in, in this, this Druid's area by sending in some of its allies to go and just burn it down, burn down the town. And so not only are they dealing with these, these creatures that are attacking, but also, um, but also maybe these arsonists, these people that are agents of this druid that are going in just to burn the place to the ground. Um, talking, when you mentioned the, the wicker witches, something just, just kind of occurred to me. You know, the, they use the, the wicker witch uh, dolls and they could animate them or they could be like animated uh, at, not just to protect, you know, from the actual, actual witch or whatever, but maybe they're also, man, this could be like lost lore or something like that, that, that maybe come in, comes into play. You could like seed this really early, but maybe they are also the product of something in the past where they made these things. And at times of need, these little bitty wicker witches come to the defense of the town. And so you could have this major battle going on where the player characters maybe aren't necessarily directly fighting all of the monsters. You could see all of these, like, like you, instead of having the wicker witches like coming in at the players, you could have the whole scene of the wicker witches all marching out to, to, to face this, this horde of things coming, you know? And so that way, if you didn't want that scale, if you didn't want like the giant battle scale, you could have the wicker witches defending the town where, and then the player characters are defending the inside of the town or the individual buildings from these, these infiltrators who are trying to burn the place to the ground. So what I like about that, um, you know, I always, I like there to be options where it could go one way or the other. So what if the wicker witches are coming towards the PCs menacingly, but if they do the sacrifice, which we would have to set up like a nursery rhyme or, or something in the lore, you know, if, if they do the proper sacrifice, then they will actually aid them. Right. So, so they, you know, the homoculus jumps in and says, I will, you know, let them take me. Okay, now that we've got your energy, they turn and then they start going out and they, they become allies. So you have them as a battle you have to fight, which affects resources, or they could be an ally, but you have to do a thing, sacrifice a thing before you can get them on your side. And yeah. then the, actually the, the thing about the arsonist that I do like would be if there's like uh, another village nearby that word comes to you like, hey, this village has been wiped out. So maybe the PCs go there and it's just gone. It's just burnt, literally burnt to the ground. Nothing is left. And there's not really anything to do there, but it, it's a portent that, hey, not important. It's an a portent mm-hmm. that, um, that if we don't get our stuff together, something is going to come take care of us. Yeah, the, the, uh, and it, this could all be part of backstory too. Maybe this uh, this person who's been manipulating things, maybe this has happened before, mm-hmm. and this other village burnt to the ground, and refugees from that village have come to this village. And part of the, those refugees is this guy who started it in the other place, and now he's doing it again. Yes. And the, you know, so then the player characters can go to the o- old village and maybe get some clues as to why it happened you know, encountering some of these monsters or maybe even agents of this druid or whatever you want to do and then go, well, wait a minute, something here is some of the same things that happened in this burnt village are starting to happen in the other village. Maybe somebody brought it with them. And and not to get too like real world political, but certainly in that type of scenario, you probably would have some of the local villagers 
not wanting to take in these refugees, especially when things start to go wrong. You could be like, I, I don't want you in our village because ever since you showed up, things have started to go bad. Uh, so then you could have a lot of, again, good role play, dramatic scenes where the PCs, hopefully being heroes, may try to step in and say, you know, they are not the, what is wrong. They are not the problem. Um, or they could side with them and say, you're right. They showed up. Bad things happened, which technically right. is true if right. we're if we're hiding our bad guy in the middle of the refugees. Uh, right. But I, I, I just think there's a lot of uh, fodder for good role play there, which, again, I'm always a fan of. I like the idea that maybe this happened and you know the the refugees came and the person who is the most uh, uh, you know like almost like the diplomat who's who's bringing them together and saying you know smoothing over these problems very uh, charismatic very likable person could be the ultimate bad guy yeah you know so that way it's like you know, oh, well, you know they're the cause of all this problem. Well, he's a traveling salesman or he's a you know whatever. Uh, maybe he's a bard and he's, you know, he, he travels around and he goes between the two towns and he's well liked in both. And so then he, he's like, you know, oh no, no, don't, don't, you know, don't disparage them. They, they just came here because they're, you know, the, this evil group destroyed their town, you know, yeah. show some compassion. Yeah. And really he's the one that caused it all. Okay. Well, it looks like we, I don't know if we got a, a weird pack or not. There is no land in this pack. Usually there's a, the last card is a, a land, but we, I, we don't really need one of those, so we're good to go. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you for playing our little reindeer games here. I uh, <laughs> hope you enjoyed, and for anyone oh, yeah. watching and listening, hopefully you did as well. And as always, we will throw it back to you. If you would have used these cards differently than we did, if there is something we missed or something that you would have added in, uh, let us know. Let us know wh which cards you would have used differently. If you decide to use these cards as a way to do an adventure, like if you try to play this type of adventure and use those elements, let us know how it goes either in the comments below or on, you can find us on our website at therpgacademy.com. You can find me on Twitter at the RPG Academy, And of course, you can email me, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Uh, Eric, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, OpenlyGamer.com. Uh, we have, uh, you can always send us uh, comments there. You could, uh, uh, we're always looking for voice actors and, and writers and things like that. So yeah, go to the website and at the very top, if you're interested in any of those things, uh, just, uh, send me, use the form and send me, uh, send me, uh, send me your contact information. Awesome. So please, uh, consider a subscribe, a thumbs up, comments below, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive through RPG site through our portal, 
we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcasts at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.